Welcome to the Living It Up podcast. This is the Living It Up podcast. In this episode, we discuss rookie Jake Knapp's big breakthrough win at the Mexico Open and other notable moments around the world of golf. But first, this episode is brought to you by B. Dratty. Head to bdratty.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for 30% off your purchase. This is Brian. I am joined by George and PJ Tour winner Billy Hurley III. George, let's kick it to you. Did the Mexico Open run the soundtrack for your nap this afternoon? <clears throat> well, you know, it, it really didn't. And it's kind of a, a hat tip to to Jake Knapp for making it interesting and then closing it out. Because um, his story is pretty compelling. And I think he, seeing this event, right, like there's there's kind of two ways these events go. Uh, I think this was a full field, so it's 144 players. Um, you know, the casual fan, even I'd say the decent golf fan probably knew 25 of those 144 players. Um, and that's even being generous. Uh, and this, this is the time where the PGA tour can get into the stories. It can get into this, like, I don't know that legacy is the right word for this event, but the significance of winning, right. For a guy like Jake Knapp to win this event, what it does, what it propels him into, He's got a tour card for two years. I mean, the dude had been effectively, I mean, to say scraping along in professional golf might be generous. Um, and it's not a knock to him. It's just like these are the dudes that persevere and they persevere. And then like these fields open up and it comes with all the trappings. Like he's, I think he's got a ticket to Augusta. He's into the signature events for the rest of the season. He's got a lot of, he's top 10 in FedEx right now. Um, so he's got a lot of great things going for him. And this would be something that while I know there's, it's still kind of being built on the fly. These are things the tour has to lean into of like, these are like catapult events. You know, you got the signature events and this could be a catapult event that, you know, transforms people's lives and it's meaningful. I mean, it's, it's compelling to watch that. Yeah, if you look down the leaderboard, you'll see Tony Finau and probably you keep scrolling down and, and get to, you know, folks like Keith Mitchell uh, before you'd find those names that maybe the the casual or sort of, you know, doesn't tune in every week sicko type fan would would find super compelling. But I agree with you, George. I think this was an awesome one to hear Jake Knapp's story, a guy that had been, you know, a bouncer. I think they told us that a hundred times in the broadcast very recently to sort of make ends meet and, and keep the dream alive. Um, you know, Sammy Valamaki trading blows back and forth with 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 Jake there uh, early in the round and sort of wrestling lead back and forth throughout the round was, you know, made for compelling enough uh, TV drama on a day that looked like it may have been a snooze. Yeah, well, this is in a knock on Keith Mitchell, but he is he's in the like the sicko category of who golf fans know. Um, so, I, you know, he's he's a personality to golf fans. I don't know that he translates or has made any waves outside of that. And, you know, the, the one thing that does jump out at me, these stories are compelling, but these guys have, and I'm trying to think of the, the right word to say it, but like watching their golf swings, they're incredibly talented players, but they're not, I don't know, they, they don't have that like speed or something like you can see that these guys are not the top 30 in the world that we kind of tune into you know like you know john rom swings hard rory goes after the ball and these guys had beautiful swings metronomic swings but it it wasn't 
I'll, it wasn't I'll fact just check like, you on this one, though. Yeah, I was going to say, Jake, George, Jake, I think Jake you're Nat losing pushes, this one. Nat pushes like 190-plus ball speed, and it looks effortless. And I actually thought he was a bigger guy. I was looking up his bio. He's 5'11", 190. He looks built. Like he said on his bio, he'd be a, a bodybuilder or loves fitness so much. If he wasn't playing golf, he'd be working out. Um, man, that guy's got speed for miles. And I look at him as like the prototypical, you know, th this is what's coming, guys. 190 ball speed is, is going to be casual soon. Well, and I guess, like, I guess, and hand up, I got to see the front nine. I had to take my kid, had to. I was really fortunate to take my kid to a really fun basketball game tonight. We got to sit courtside. Um, and so I listened to, you know, holes, you know, 11 and 12, 13 on the drive in and kind of checked my phone for the rest of the night. And so I, I saw a little bit of nap um, this morning, but the other guys they showed that it just wasn't that. Like, whoa, like, I mean, we tuned in to watch professional sports to have those like, whoa, moments. And what I saw on the swings I watched was not a lot of whoa. I, I mean, I think that's fair in a sense. And I think that part of what does that is the fact that you're at a resort course in Mexico that you've only played at now for, I think this is the third year there. And it, you know, so, so you don't know any of the holes, you don't know any of the shots, um, as we, you know, come off of Pebble and Riviera and going into Palm Springs to, uh, you know, Valspar, Bay Hill players, like we know these courses and we know 20 feet right of that pin on 17 is a really good golf shot or whatever. And so I think that, I think some of that's a casualty of that. And I, I will say that the hour or so the broadcast that that I watched was, I mean, I get it was a two horse race, you know, for most of the day and, and, and pretty much the back nine, but I, they just didn't show enough golf shots. They just, they, they just kept telling you the same story to your, to your point, Brian, you know, they just kept telling you the same story over and over again. And, and it was just like, show me some golf shots. It, there, there was a point in the back nine. I felt like if somebody could post 15 under, if Patrick Rogers could birdie the last two holes and, and post 15 under these two might come slinking back at him. And um, obviously that didn't happen. And, and, and Jake kind of held, held in there to, to post 19 under and win by two. But uh, it just it just felt like the, the broadcast to me was lackluster from a from a golf shot perspective. I thought I thought, you know, the shots they showed, they, they, they did nicely. And, you know, between Bones and Woody and uh, Johnson Wagner and Brad Faxon, I mean, they, I mean, they did a nice job, but but they just didn't show enough golf shots to me. It's interesting you mentioned Patrick Rogers, because when I was thinking about this event earlier in the week, there were a lot that maybe thought about, you know, Tony Finau and said, you know, top player in the field has won this event before, you know, is this going to be a, a coronation for him? Is he just going to, you know, assert himself as the best player in that field? He didn't do that. He finished, you know, 13th overall, but I was thinking about Patrick Rogers and I was thinking about, you know, some of these guys, whether it's a Justin Lauer or, you know, Carson Young, and just thinking like, it's going to be somebody's big breakthrough. And Jake Knapp with his 64, 63 in rounds two and three kind of, you know, put put the foot on the gas and really went and took it. Like we said, he kind of stumbled out of the gate, but then righted the ship, although didn't hit too many fairways, but, but hit enough golf shots down the stretch to, to make it, you know, an easy two shot victory uh, over the last few holes. But what I think about Patrick Rogers and, and why I bring that up is, Think about guys that have just toiled around for nearly a decade now on the big tour. They they do well. They they scare a lot of leaderboards. But for a guy that you know 
beat all of Tiger Woods records at Stanford University seemed like a can't miss sort of prospect. It's kind of wild to look at a guy like that and just think he has not broken through quite yet, has never really found that same talent level that separated him amongst his college peers at the highest level. Well, and this this kind of – and I want to be careful because like this, you, you mentioned the words and the Hornets go bananas. But it, it comes to the point of the – is the OWGR really – meaningful and i and I, I don't mean this to like knock them and oh i don't think it points here and there but by by all metrics according to the owgr tony finau should have been a lock for top three in this event right like you know if, if you look at basketball you look at certain sports you put the top guys that you say are the top 10 players and if you put them on the floor with guys that are the top 100 players it immediately, the difference immediately reveals itself. And I think this is the issue with golf, and this this is for, for Liv and the PGA Tour. The, and I, I've said it before, the difference between number one in the world and number 40 in the world, I don't think is that glaring. Now, I get if we lined them up and we played 25 rounds, it would 100% reveal itself. But in any given week over four rounds, I don't think that there is truly this margin. And it, it speaks to the depth of golf. It's not a a knock on anybody or to say that something like I think that's the issue. And so when it comes to what do the fans need to see, it's the Jordan Spieth experience. Like this dude can make bogey. This guy's can make double or birdie on every single hole. We just don't know. And you don't know off the tee, you might know, you might not know until the second shot. Like that's the roller coaster. So the the compelling players are the ones that are just combustible or have like a lot of charisma and personality that you that comes through on the course. And but on a talent level, I think it's just so bunched that it doesn't, it doesn't like the product is interchangeable like the players are interchangeable in a lot of ways and i think that's if if we're gonna and i don't want to say turn this discussion but that's why basically they've got to figure a way to get these things together or like live needs to buy the dp tour and just like the signature events you have these events and then these guys who win get into live events and that's the signature for the dp tour and you, you kind of have these two competing models that come together at the majors or maybe some like year end, like super like five, six tournaments or four tournaments with the the top dudes from each one over the season that come together for the super season. I, I don't know how to do it, but this is the issue is that if you want eyeballs and you want compelling people, there's just a very small sliver of compelling golfers and that's not a talent question it's just a what's interesting to watch question yeah and i think that there's always been this kind of a b and c level events on the pga tour we've just never talked about it that way and i'm kind of pulling the majors into like aa or, or what outside of, of of those buckets um you know you've kind of always had the invitationals bay hill memorial Riviera players, um, you, you know, just, just the ones that had that mystique, had that extra bit to them, you know, and there were a handful of them. 
And then you had the B level events, which were the solid field stuff, you know, you kind of like uh, Palm Beach with with Honda now Cognizant. You had, uh, you know, we'll say we'll say Pebble, um, the Texas events, Valero and Houston and um, even, you know, depending on the year, a couple of different events in the East Coast or Tampa. Um, and then you had these sea level events, right? So obviously opposite fields, but then really, you know, you had the Canadian open, you had John Deere, you had uh, Sony, you had, you know, some of these other events, they just didn't draw a good field. Okay. And for, for whatever reason, so they kind of just lived in this, like, you know, so we had these ABCs, this was definitely a sea level event in, in Mexico from a field perspective. Now that doesn't mean it didn't just change Jake snaps life um, and career because it because it did and that doesn't mean that some guys made a lot of money this week and and earned a lot of fedex cup points and there's you know some guys who finished 20th that springboarded their year and are going to go on to do things you know in the coming months because they kind of got their feet wet in mexico this past week but all we've done now is we've just acknowledged this fragmented tour that's always existed and so now it's like we're looking for a signature event every week. And and we only have five or six signature events, or, or, or I guess it's eight, if you don't count the playoffs and whatever. But we, we only have a couple of weeks that truly bring everybody together. That's not different. Um, it's just we've put them on a pedestal and thereby removed or reduced the other events as such. So it, it's a unintended consequence of a I'll call it a system that's kind of always been in place now to, to what you guys have noted telling these stories is now what matters right making the world know who Jake Knapp is and who Sammy Valamiki is and and who these players are so that when they pop on the leaderboard at the masters when they pop on the leaderboard at the players championship or wherever they're next up there, that it's not the first time you've heard of these guys on TV. Yeah. And so I, and I totally agree. I think this is what the tour, I mean, let's, let's, let's rewind until on Thursday, the first round of this event, the PGA tours media feed was Charlie Woods in a pre-qualifier. Like in a titleist hat. Can we Which, just like nobody we'll nobody noted that. this. Nobody noted this. Titleist hat. Yeah, we'll get we'll get to the fact that apparently Sunday Red doesn't have a juniors line or Tigers looked at Charlie and been like, yo, not until you get in the when you're the top leaderboard, you can wear my gear. Busters wear something else. Um which is also weird because he's in a title set, and I think Tiger is a tailor-made player, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> so a lot of questions there. But the uh and I and I feel for the tour, right? This is this is sort of the issue, right? So Brian had commented, we heard he's been a bouncer 49 times. There's no way for the PGA tour media to be ready for this because when you have these events, and again, you had, you know, I was generous that we might have known 25 of the players. We probably knew 10 of the players. And so how can how much backstory can they have on 134 players? having no idea who's going to percolate. Is up. it not their full-time job or no? 
Is that is that not hey, what the listen, PGA hey, Tour Billy, media department and social media department do? Is that do, do I have that mistaken? If if I'm not mistaken, they also do not have Nvidia's numbers. They're they're merely a fourteen billion dollar corporation. How how many people can you have doing this? I I mean, you can only have so many executive vice presidents. And so, like, I mean, do you really expect... I'm not talking about executive vice presidents. I mean, do we just have, like, social media planners and, like, digital artists and, and, and like, beat writers? Are you, are you saying Colt doesn't get to sleep? Colt has to just constantly be digging in on these guys? Colt doesn't work for the PGA Tour. Oh, I thought he was... A, I thought he was the PGA Tour player liaison or whatever. Colt knows Jason a, Gore. You're thinking Jason of Jason Gore. Oh, Jason Gore. Gore. I Jason apologize. Gore. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Or, and Gore. is Jason Gore USGA or PGA? I, I, he's he's now with the PGA Tour. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But, but but he's so one of Jason those Gore. like E. He's one of those E people, right? He's the chief yeah. player officer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so he's 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 not a beat writer. So first off, apologies to Colt. Colt's great, and I was just you know having fun there, not taking a shot. But the uh, like, I mean, it, you're 100 right. Like, wait a minute. We if we have 200 players in the roster like all right hey guys we need we need like a four-page bio on you we need stuff and and that's all the players right like i mean trust me i i get asked for bios and things and it's like oh jesus christ do i have to like put this together and so it, it's a some homework has to get done 14 billion dollar corporation where the product is 200 people you'd think they would you know Put the resources into the figuring that out. Um, so I well, and I, we're only I, talking about figuring out 50 people a year because then you have them, right? Correct. I mean, you don't you don't you don't have to put somebody to figure out Rory and Scotty Scheffler and Victor Hovland and whatever, like those stories are are, are there, right? You got to figure out the, the the 50 that are new. So well, that just makes it sound so much worse. <laughs> I I'm I got it. And, and I'll tell you, it made me go to Sammy Balamaki's Wikipedia page, and I found out that he turned pro in 2019 after completing his military service in Finland. He's won twice on the on the DP World Tour, won the Oman Open in 2020, just a year after turning professional. Last fall, he won the Qatar Masters. One of the players, and we talked a little bit about this when Matthew Pavan won, uh, that earned his PGA Tour card by way of being the top 10 on the DP World Tour. He finished sixth on that list last year, was able to come over. And I'm curious, Billy, this is one of those ones where everybody's been getting the starts, but there's been a lot made of, you know, the the players that made it by way of Q School or by way of the deep, uh, the Corn Ferry Tour or DP World Tour, the, the lack of starts that they've been getting. And yet we've seen a few players, you know, win in Matthew Pavon, uh, and now another, you know, another player assert themselves, you know, on, on a, on a, on the top of a leaderboard. What, what say you, Billy, on, on these players and the starts or lack thereof that they're getting thus far? Well, the Q school guys are the ones who are really getting hosed here. Um, the, you know, five guys out of the, the corn Ferry tour kind of Q school that got straight to the PGA tour um, because of the way they ordered it. So the, the DP world guys are, are really doing great because they're the first 10 guys in. In, in into a field it used to be kind of meshed up between q school and and corn Ferry tour and and then it was just corn Ferry tour and then it was the corn Ferry tour finals and then they kind of you know meshed those together and now it's just dp world tour corn Ferry tour q school and, and eventually i think they 
I was going to say, and we're soon, to, we're soon to get a reshuffle yeah, here. Soon we're enough. soon to get a reshuffle. Um, I think they reshuffled in their category recently, probably after Riviera, typically is how it was done. I have to, I have to look it up, but I don't really follow the reshuffle that much anymore. But um, I assume that they should mesh together at some point um, to, to let people jump up a little bit more. But regardless um it's really the, the the dp world tour category is really the one that 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 sammy's play really made me think about uh today and and what i mean by that is like we've had guys come over and and try and play out of europe and and come to the us and very few have been successful and i think that's because of the so so we've had some success of guys coming over now you mentioned matthew pavan and now sammy vomalicki I think that the difference here is that these guys aren't in the top 50 in the world or they weren't when they, when they came over. And, and so they weren't immediately thrown into, all right, you're going to play the majors. You're going to play the world golf championships. You're going to play the invitationals. You're going to play the big boy events. Um, and that's how you're coming over to the U S you, you know, I, I think of a handful of guys over the last, you know, 10 years or, or when I was playing, you know, we'd have one or two come over and they, they really just didn't perform that well. And, and I don't know, what that is i don't know if it was they were being thrown into those top events or if it was i just assumed it was kind of america and like the difference in traveling and the difference in being away from your family or trying to bring your family to the u.s or trying to you know move your family to london so you can get back and forth a little easier or whatever it was but what i actually think now is that just watching the early success of these dp world tour players on the pga tour is that those guys are proven winners like those guys have won and done well for a full year to finish in the top 10 on the DP world tour. Like that's a significant accomplishment last year in 2023. And now they get to come over and play some of these B level events. They're not in the top 50 in the world where they're coming over to just play majors and just play invitationals and just play against Scotty Scheffler and Roy McIlroy every week. They're, they're playing against the Q school category. They're playing against the corn Ferry tour category. They're playing against the guys who finished 75 to 125 you know on the fedex cup list and so they're in more of an even match and you can make a case that in some cases they've got a leg up they've got actually a game that's been more proven than a corn Ferry tour player coming over here to to start the year and so i've got my eyes on on that category a little bit um more for the rest of the year and and how those guys will perform because it was something i overlooked honestly coming into the beginning of the year so and th this comes back, and again, I, I shudder to say the words, but with the new OWGR like metric and how they're weighting guys, like the the, the DP World Tour took a hit on on how they're doing it. Seeing how these guys are performing, is it worth saying like, well, wait a minute, and is this is this right? Because these guys clearly are good, like they're very good, and. And maybe to your point, they they're getting a chance to get the reps in and get wins and be close to to winning and understand the the adrenaline of the moment. But at the same time, you know, they aren't playing. They're they are playing against top fifty in the world guys. I mean, when uh, Pavon won at Torrey Pines, like there were there were players there. When you know Tony Finau was in this field. You know, there there were some good players in this field, and these guys rose above them to to be there. So my question is, you know, on on a much bigger scale, 
does the OWR have it right as it exists now? Because it appears that some players that you could argue were underweighted under the new math are overperforming if if that's actually what is happening. Yeah, I don't know if that's what's happening because you know, you look at the relative the overall strength of field of these fields, um, you know, that aren't signature events and they aren't terrific, right? They're better than a DP world tour field. Like that's true. Um, but they're not like, are they better under the new math or are they better under the old math? I think they're probably better under both. I, I think the issue with the old math was more that you got too many points out of Europe for a win against a relatively weaker field um, because of the way the minimums, the minimums work yeah. and whatever. Yeah. So, I, I mean, there's, I mean, let's just agree. There's not a perfect system to rank players across the globe. And I'm not saying the OWG I will not suffer right Tugger slander. We will not. We're a pro Tugger <laughs> podcast. Okay. I, I understand. But we, but we can, but we can like, we can, find some holes in tugger right like you can you can you can point out where, where they kind of fall short of of doing it exactly perfectly and that's my point is that you can't do it exactly perfectly i think tugger's got a better model today because they're including all players right the owgr has all the math to include all the players and do the same thing tugger's doing and it wouldn't really matter and and tuggers is kind of a strokes gain the, the owgr recognizes winning as more important um kind of, kind of thing on a, on an exponential point scale but it, that doesn't matter the 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 point is to me um that i mean like it, I, I look at the the owgr list and and the guys coming out of europe and and ryan fox is the is the top ranked player in that new dp world tour category he's 41st in the world as of as of last week not updated through this week and so it's it's not like it so if ryan were going to come over and do this in the old system he would come in in that top 50 in the world exemption category and he would only he wouldn't get into the field in mexico he would only get into the invitationals the, the old world golf championships the majors the the big events he could get a couple of sponsors exemptions right now guys like ryan and sammy and matthew pavon are 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 getting into these let's call them B level events where frankly they stack up better relative to the strength of field at those events. than if they're getting thrown into the, the signature events, like the, what, what are now signature events, kind of the old OWGR events and the majors where they're the worst guy in the field at 41st in the field. They're, they're one of the worst guys actually, frankly, in the field. Now they're one of the best guys in the field against again, a relatively weaker field, albeit a better field than the DP World Tour field. So they're kind of taking a half step up as opposed to two steps up. And they're, so thus far, with with Pavon and I cannot say Sammy's last name right every time I look at it. Val- Valamaki, I believe. Valamaki, all right. And, and with those two guys' early success, it's just something to watch. It's a different way of going about it, a different way of bringing the game from Europe to the United States. And maybe it's nothing, maybe it's something. We'll see. 
It, and and all of this talks a good segue into I was looking back at that top 10 on the DP World Tour list. And then I was thinking about how the Masters uh, extended three invitations this week to uh, Joaquin Neiman, Torbjorn Holson, and Ryo Hisatune from Japan. And, and what you find is Torbjorn Olsen, fourth on that DP World Tour list from last year. Ryo Hisatune was number 10. Um, and I was also looking at the current OWGR of those three guys and, and sort of trying to think of, you know, did the Masters have a line in mind when they thought about how far down they would extend an invitation to those guys not otherwise qualified via top 50 category or, or any other mechanism? You know, Joaquin Neiman sits at 81 right now. And I think that, you know, any other rating, whether that's Data Golf or Tugger or others, would have him much, much higher than that based on his recent form. And and then I looked at where Hisatune currently at 78. You know, it, actually, Torbjorn Olsen's at 59, so he's pretty darn close to that top 50. But it, but it made me actually find the one guy that I found was snubbed in all this, and that is the guy that's just above Ryo Hisatune, and that is Rakuya Hoshino. From Japan, and if you look at his OWGR, he, he's actually won very recently on the DP World Tour. Won the Qatar Masters, you know. Also had a second, actually had a second at both the Australian Open and the Australian PGA Championship. And I was thinking about like where will the the snubs come from in in maybe the new math and the way that the math has been done. And and he was a name that jumped out to me. I'm sure there will be others, but. But was curious maybe to open up the thread and, and I'll kick it to you, George. You know, did did the masters, you know, wrong some or right some wrongs, if you will, with these three invitations that they've uh that they've extended? Are they fixing the glitch? What what would you say this move was uh was intended to do? Well, let me start with the biggest snub is by you not recognizing that last Sunday Billy said he was headed to Georgia to make things happen and get things done. 24 hours later, Joaquin is in the Masters. So obviously, hat tip to Billy, promises made, promises kept. So obviously, by the way, everyone listening, most powerful podcast on the planet. So uh, sponsors also take note. Billy Hurley is not a man to be trifled with. Let's start by giving kudos where kudos are due. Um it, this is the thing. They're they're never gonna get it a hundred percent right. Like this is this is kind of like American college football. Like the the bowls get decided. Do they ever get it a hundred percent right? You know, the Masters is what it is. They say if you win on the PGA tour, you're automatically in. If you hit this mark, you're automatically in. And they they have this thing. And you know, people will say it's the weakest of all the four majors because of the the legacy invites and all these things. And it's a right now it might be at 78 players. Is it even to 80 players yet? I'm not sure. Um, so it's an extremely small field. Could they, I mean, they could expand to a hundred players and probably if you, to your point, Brian, fix the glitch, if you will. I mean, arguably Taylor Gooch over the last 12 months has played as well as many of the guys who will get invited who have zero wins on any tour, um, but have points, OWGR um, rankings or FedEx, whatever you want to call it, to get in. So I think this is, it's a good move by them. Um, you can't argue with any of the players they chose. No matter how far you expand a field, there's always going to be 
the next guy who didn't get in. And you could say, well, over the last eight weeks, he's played better than the last guy who got in or something like that. Um, so it, it's good for them. I'm glad they did it. Um, and I would love to see them expand to be bigger. I mean, we know, and, and for them, they can, they are in a weird place. I realize like they, they want to manage it. They want to keep it very exclusive and very prestigious and that kudos to them. However, we know that 25 of the people invited every year based on, you know, past champion status and everything else, they are 100% not going to see Saturday. Like they know it, but they're never going to pass. They're going to keep showing up until they get the polite. If you don't believe you're competitive, we'd prefer if you didn't, you know, letter or acknowledgement or whatever that happens behind the scenes to be like, you know, we know that you've earned the right to be here, but we'd prefer if you didn't. Um, so I, they they could do it, and I hope they continue to expand because it will make it better. Like there there are great players on live, and I, I Taylor Gooch comes to mind should should be there. Maybe a Carlos Ortiz should be there. Like some guys that are playing good golf currently, or within the last twelve months leading into the Masters that you could argue have earned the right to be there. And it looks like they won't be there. Um, and so, you know, they, they are beholden to nobody. It is their, their position in the golf world. And so, you know, it, I would love for them to say, you know what, we're not using any rankings. Like they can use the eye test to say, Hey, who, who's good right now. And they also, they're very smart business people. Who's good and who do people know? Like bring the personalities and not personality just because they're a personality because obviously then we would have Michael Block invited to everything and that's the last thing we want to see. Um, but who's, who's a very, very, very elite golfer who also like has the, the extra that doesn't necessarily like that brings eyeballs well anybody who really brings eyeballs is already in the field okay no matter what tour they play on no matter you know where they've been in the last 24 months in the world of golf they're they're in the field tell me more about denny willett well he won the thing so he gets to come back good for him but this is my I mean, point what do like, you want me he's to, in but, the field but, no, 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 I know. But 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 my point is like that you're saying bring eyeballs. I'm saying that the eyeballs guys are there, right? I mean, anybody in the top 50 in the world, John Rom, Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, uh, Brooks Kupka, okay, like Patrick Reed, all the guys from Live who you care about seeing are in the field. And and so to me, it just kind of like you know, look, Augusta sells scarcity. That's that's that is their proposition is it is the hardest one to get into and yeah as such it's the weakest field because it's like kind of 90 plus or minus players and as you mentioned i don't know that it's 25 traffic cones but it's certainly 12 to 15 and augusta did this very very smartly as they as they do they will never admit that this was about getting neiman in the field um but it certainly has all the rumblings of that and but they did it in a tranche. They did it with two other international players, certainly one from Japan who adds to Hideki. Um, 
as, as being in the field and, and bringing in different places from the globe and bringing in, you know, kind of world golf together and whatnot. So um, I think that they have the eyeballs, the, the, the needle movers they, they have. They're, they're in the field already. Who, who else would they invite that's a needle mover who's are not we, already there? And you're being modest. Are we allowed to discuss the negotiations or is that? No, okay. yeah, no, there's a lot of, you know, okay. things that we shouldn't, we shouldn't talk about here. That's fine. And I want to respect your, your position in the golf world. So I appreciate that. You know, the one thing I was going to say that that was interesting based on timing is I agree with you, Billy. I think this was, they were never going to come out. I don't think. And when we had talked about this weeks ago, when we were saying, would they or not extend an invitation to Yako Neiman based on his, his recent play? And we kind of sided on like they they could, they might, but they probably won't. And I think they continue to be sort of a PR masterclass in this perspective. It's a very quick, you know, press release that goes out. The following players have accepted an invitation to compete. And that's all they're, that's all they're going to say. And they'll have their talking points very well dialed in on day one. They'll have their reasons when they're asked about it. And I'm sure their reasons will be very sound for all the things that we've talked about. Yeah, these are players that have shown good recent form. They're just outside of automatic qualifications. And based on their recent form, we wanted to extend them an invitation to make sure we have a very strong field that you know represents the best players in the world. There you go. Put a, put a bow on Yeah, it. but it'd be, it'd be even bigger than that from, from their perspective is that if these were three American players, they would not have gotten invited. Okay. I mean, I think that there's a, you know, there's a global kind of like world of golf mindset. Are you saying they want to grow the game? Do they want to grow the game? What does that mean? What does that mean? I mean, I definitely think they've, they've always prized the international nature of their competition, right? It's why they've extended invites to, you know, Latin American amateur champions, the Asia Pacific amateur champion. Um, I, I think that's, that's always been part of their ethos. And, and I would tell you that that's both, you know, probably sound business as well, because they know that they can get rights to the masters in all those markets. And it is like a very, very globally watched sporting event, not just in the U S. Um, so I would say that's very, very sound of them to have an international mindset, but your points well taken Billy in that, you know, if this was Taylor Gooch that we were talking about, would they have gone so far as to find a way to get him in that field? Perhaps it just made sense that Yako Neiman is an international star in that perspective and and is maybe convenient for them to to carve out this exception this episode is brought to you by b dratty the leader in performance golf apparel b dratty makes the softest polos you'll ever wear as well as ridiculously comfortable quarter zip shorts t-shirts and even boxers their colors and fabrics are all naturally aged by the salt of the ocean for that perfectly lived in vibe head to bdratty.com and use code living it up 30 for 30 percent off your purchase yeah, I think so. And further, he's, you know, the only person from Chile in the field, right? Or, or even close to being in the field, right? So it makes it just even easier, I think, on on their end to add him. I, I guess I would say on the, this issue, I would hope that as they they look and I mean, they, they could invite somebody on Monday night and whoever that person is, is dropping everything to show up. Um, I, I hope that they continue to keep the potential invites open um, for for players that are are peaking and you know will bring depth to the field. 
and, and so one I, and one that I was thinking about just based on timing is this week. Carlos Ortiz goes and wins the International Series Oman. I wonder if the Masters had not extended these invites last week, if he would have also been a guy where they would have said, hey, you know, it might make sense for us to extend an invite to, to Carlos Ortiz as well. Well, let's not also forget someone else is about to tee it up and maybe there's an invite, a true Thunderbolt invite in the horizon for the Masters. An, an AK invite? Is that is that what I'm hearing you you talk about? I, I mean, if if he wins, <laughs> if if he wins, if you want the biggest Masters viewership of all time, Excuse you me. you gotta you gotta go there. I it just you you gotta make. We'll see. Got, I mean, so 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 you think that if if Anthony Kim performs well in Saudi Arabia, live Jetta, then he's in, or he should be in. I mean, well, he's not I mean, going to be in. He would have. But, but, but I've said that beaten, before too. He would have beaten four, I think, four Masters champions. At least. Currently the reigning Masters champion. Well, so let's go there. I think you're you're speaking in hypotheticals as if he's going to find lightning in a bottle. There's you know so much smoke that there must be fire that Anthony Kim is going to be a wild card for Liv Jetta coming up this week. Uh, l- let's go there. We've talked a little you, bit about... You want to you know, say he's lightning in a... What if he is the lightning? And everyone else is the bottle, Brian. There's there's no bottle for Anthony Kim's lightning. Okay. All right. So so let's set the over under on round one as a wild card in Live Jetta. I'll, I'll set the over under, and I don't know par, Billy. You can maybe look this up while while I'm going through this over under. Let's set it at seventy one and a half, George. Probably a round par, maybe a half shot above or over par. But what say you on on Anthony Kim's first round at at Live Jetta? Is he going above or or below my 71 and a half uh, over under? To his this is actually great for him. There will be no fans. So that's got to be the most nerve-wracking part of returning to competitive golf. Is like I do not want to put a drive through someone's face at 75 yards out. And so R70, R70. I don't know if you want to change your your over under, Brian. I think 71 and a half. I'm going to keep it 71 and a half though, even with right. R70. Right. So right. with with no fans because it's the whatever weird Potemkin city that exists out there. Um I would say I mean conservatively he's probably going to shoot like 63. I mean I I'm going to go I'm going to go over on my first round, but I would not be surprised to see, you know, rounds at 70 plus or minus two or three shots. I mean, I I think, and I was looking back through scores last year, there's plenty of low scores out at, uh, out at Royal Greens and King Abdullah economic city. Um, I think he's got, you know, who knows it, how much rust competitive rust he needs to kick off. There's always been these sort of rumors out there that he'll play in money matches and sort of, you know, plays really well, but, but Billy can tell us that, you know, playing money matches at, you know, any club in Las Vegas is nowhere near the green speeds and green firmness and green pin positions that you're going to see at a, at a big boy event. I'd be curious, uh, and this is maybe a a little tinfoil hat. So George may love this is, are they going to set it up to score at least for the first few rounds or maybe for everyone, just so that he isn't in any way, you know, embarrassed by not having competitive form. I mean, I feel like that's a double-edged sword. It wouldn't surprise me, um, but that's a double-edged sword because if you've got 14 guys coming in 60 to 62, like that deflates your event. You you can't, if if they sort of all say 
set it up like the Amex, that's not going to be great. Um, but, and this is... Well, look, I think that's exactly why he's coming in as a wild card, if he's coming in at all. Like, we still don't know that for sure, right? Is he's not signing a contract to join a team. If he's going to play as a wild card, he's going to play. He's kind of getting the chance to play and prove that he can still play. That's that's the way I look at it. But, but I'll, here's, still, I'll still take the over. I just had a giant mega brain idea. And and this is going to happen because we we pioneered all four counting on Sunday. Here is the mega brain idea with the wild card wild card players. Saturday night. The teams get to have a Calcutta for the wild card player. Whoever bids the highest buys him and he he chops the pot on what he was bid for and then gets the winner's share too. Is I it, mean, does he replace somebody on the team or does he become a fifth man? Yeah, yeah. He's got to replace somebody. They gotta they gotta dump somebody. They gotta dump somebody. That, hey, that, that, we've that, we've and had by the crazier way, ideas that are it, now in play. And here's the best part, right? So it's a waterfall Calcutta because whoever bids on him and gets him, they drop a player. That player's in a new Calcutta, so on and so forth. That is electric TV. That's a YouTube. Who's going to watch this? I mean, this is like getting picked for kickball on the schoolyard, except the exact opposite, because instead of being like, who's waiting to get picked last, who's waiting to get dropped? Oh, who's going to pick me up for what? Like, they just bid $75,000 for him. What am I going to bid for? The team equipment guy hates you right now, George, because now he's going to have 14 different shirts for 18 different teams for 26 different players potentially to move around in your waterfall Calcutta. I like the idea. It'd be kind of fun. It'd be a little bit of a spectacle. But, um, hey, I think these are the things. This is team golf. It's all. It's an entertainment product. This is team golf. It's different. It has to be done differently if it's going to work. And it is interesting. I mean, in some in so many ways, you know, a lot of these things that we talk about are exhibition golf at its core. And I think that's been the narrative from from the jump is is this exhibition golf? Is it serious golf? Is it individual and team happening at the same time? I, I do wonder because we're going to see an exhibition here tomorrow, the the match version, whatever we're on 13 or 14 at this point, uh, we're going to see. Uh, the men and the women teeing it up together. You're going to see Lexi Thompson and Rojang and Rory McIlroy and Max Homa playing down at uh, in in uh, I believe the course is the one of the lit par three courses, uh, the Park Golf Course down in down in like the Palm Beaches. Uh, you can fact check me on that one. I I may have the the place wrong on that, but but I think you know a lot of these things that you're talking about, George, would be electric TV, but they would border on the well. This is just not real golf. It's not real competition. It's too silly it's too contrived and, and i and i would say like that to a degree is what the match and perhaps what tgl and and maybe these other youtube golfers want to be is just we're entertaining it's a sideshow it's kind of interesting but it's not real golf tell me that anyone who's ever played in their member guests or any of the tournaments at clubs where the calcuttas get to six figures in these private clubs. So dudes are playing for 50 grand. 
tell me that a Calcutta isn't real golf. These dudes are playing real golf. Um, like it, there's nothing. I don't. I don't think that's anything. Like, yeah, they're like, oh, well, that's what you do at your club. That's golf. Like professional golf isn't golf. What we do Saturdays and Sundays at our clubs, that's golf. That's what everybody knows is golf. And so you actually are reaching, in my opinion, the actual golfers that you want to see because you are playing courses, as Billy has said multiple times, that don't exist in real life, going at these crazy pins. And now all of a sudden you have these like side pots that everybody else knows exist that we all play with every day. I think it's actually, it doesn't take away from the level of competition. It actually brings it more in line with what the actual golfer who's watching knows and does at their own clubs. Brian's coughing to death and Billy is pondering. These pauses are the most electric podcasting in all of technology. We'll 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 edit all this out. I you know, I don't disagree with you that it's it's not has the potential for for being electric and being almost must-see TV. In, in the early days of Live, I remember being around our club, George, and a bunch of guys that we play golf with said, I've got it. Like I've got the answer. And it is like these guys are all millionaires. Make them play for their own money, or at least some percentage of what they're playing for is their own money. Like everyone brings half a million dollars to the event, and it's like, you know, only the top ten in, in any week are going to take home any any of that money. There could be some in, super interesting elements, but it, then it borders <laughs> on like, is it is it just silly? Is it contrived? Is it is it actually like musty? Listen, here's the thing. I, I hear that, and I say, does Rory show up to any tournament with his own money? Nope. Like, is Rory sweating any tournament he shows up to other than majors? No. Does he want to win them? Is he showing up to, like, I'm going to play my best. I want to win. 100%. These guys are wired that way. Like, this is no... This is the part that makes me so mad when I hear, like, oh, they got paid. They don't care anymore. Anyone who's made it to the top 10 in the world rankings effectively has... I don't want to say generational wealth, but more money than they know what to do with because endorsements off the course stuff, everything else, they, they will be very high eight figure people, if not potentially nine figure people. You know, if you can stay in the top 10, call it for three to five years, you're going to be extraordinarily wealthy. And so they don't show up to any tournament thinking, Oh my God, if I don't, if I don't win, like I'm, I'm super like scratchy and I hope that like the bills are all covered. Like they're, they're money good. And if you've been in the top 20 for five to 10 years, you're probably great. Top 50 for call it three to five years. You're, you're fine. And so this, this notion that like, Oh, it's just all funny money. Like it's all, at a certain level, once you hit a threshold on the PGA Tour, and the to say funny money isn't the right word, but like you're not playing to eat. You're covered. You're good. And yes, you need to keep your card. You need to keep it rolling. But at the end of the day, if you can't, 
your family, unless you just have a terrible advisor and a crazy burn rate, you're probably good. And so like, I think all these players, this notion that like, oh, that takes the fire out. Like, no, no, no. You don't get to this level without the crazy fire to begin with. And that doesn't just get extinguished because you got a big payday. Well, and if that's the case, I mean, uh, to, to continue on your thread, George, like every other sport has the same problem. Okay. Like Patrick Mahomes still plays really, really hard. Right. I mean, LeBron James is still trying to be the best at basketball. And also money. the best flopper. Money. LeBron James is the best. Yeah, he's getting hey, his flop I, he, game. He probably is take that, taking acting classes because he wants to be the best. That's why he went to like, LA. I mean, there you go. Good producers out there. You know, you can learn a lot. So I, it, that's just the case in professional sports, right? So to somehow think that golf was different for all this time, a, a, a little bit of like just a it like was naivety. Think it's, it's naivety. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's totally, totally just, just ludicrous and silly. Right. I mean, I've said this for a long time. I've probably said it on the pod. Right. I mean, the top 10 guys, top 20 guys in the world, they're playing to keep their off course income at up because their on course income doesn't sniff their off course income. I mean, Rory, what, 15 some odd years ago, got a $250 million contract from Nike. So he's making 25 mil a year as a 10 year, 250 contract. He's making 25 mil a year just from Nike. He never made 25 mil on the golf course in a year. So, so, but, but if he's not number one, number three, you know, kind of in that, in that bucket of top five in the world, then Nike's not paying him. So he's playing to keep that revenue stream alive. Right. I mean, and again, these guys are playing because they love winning and they love competing. And, and that was the thing. Like I, and I've said this for my entire career, I'd rather be a baseball player. I was just looking for what I could compete at. And I'd rather be competing in baseball for a myriad of reasons including guaranteed contracts at this moment in my career, but I was better at golf. And so I quit everything else and I quit baseball to just do golf. And so it was just my way to compete. Yeah. And this is, and I, I think this is like, I, I will say in the three of us like competed collegiately at a high, very high level. Um, you obviously went professional, like the people who go on, like just wired different. And People who don't know that and weren't around it don't get it. And it, it, that's the part that drives me like nuts trying to talk to people. And I mean, and not to go down like a weird rabbit hole, but like a, dealing with like youth sports and these people thinking like, oh, if I do this and this, my kid will go there. I'm like, no, your kid was born either a professional or a D1 athlete. Like whatever happens between the second they exist and when they get there is three percent of what will actually matter because they are just wired to be like i will kill everyone in front of me and i will i will compete and like i will keep competing and practicing until i feel like i am where i want to be and those are the people who do that coaches coaches don't teach that they just find the kids who do it and be like, I'm going to harness that and direct it and like push it forwards. And so these, this notion that like, like Joaquin Neiman is a perfect example. He got a massive check to go to live. 
He has showed up to every tournament that will take him since arriving at Live to be like, I want to get to majors. I want to be in these tournaments. The money didn't change his drive. It changed his ability to do things off the course, but like what he chooses to accomplish clearly has not changed one iota. And I can think of probably no better segue. We're we're talking a lot about, you know, the sport and money and all these changes. There was one of the more pure moments in golf. Uh, if you saw it um, on the DP World Tour at the, the Magical Kenya Open, Ugandan Ronald Rugamayo has about an eight, 10 foot putt on the very last hole, needs to make birdie to make the cut on the number. You know, you see this putt, looks like it's it's going to stay on the high side. He does this you know, very endearing sort of dip down and it's almost timed perfectly with the ball just catching the side door and dropping in. And I saw this video first, then you saw it shared from a different angle where you've got like some of his countrymen and, and people cheering along. Then they showed the video and you saw like his home club back in Uganda and how they were following along. And it was one of those like palate cleanser moments in, in a world of golf and golf Twitter that just seems to be... Uh, you know, increasingly wonky and crazy and ridiculous on so many levels. This was like one of the more pure, joyful moments that I saw. And I, I won, just wanted to congratulate him. He ended up finishing dead last in the tournament, but that is neither here nor there. He made the cut. He is the first person from Uganda to make the cut on the DP World Tour. So congratulations to him. And, and just again, like a, a funny, interesting, heartwarming moment amidst all the craziness that is golf these days. It was a cool thing to see. And I think it it was the the second the the thing that I remembered when I saw it was when Joel Damon got his first win, and I guess he's a member at a club down in Arizona. At the time he got his win, he was at you know not Whisper Rock, but some of the other like another club down there that's a little bit more of an every man's club, and just texted is like open a tab, boys. I finally did it, um, and I think like those are the great stories, and again. These are things that, to the extent they exist on the tour, the tour, whichever tour is doing it, would do well to, like, hype that when we talk about growing the game, right, like this phrase that gets tossed around, nobody gets more excited for something than when, you know, like golf is, you have a home course, whether it's a private club or a, a public course, and most public courses have like, hey, pay X and you can play as much as you want for the year. And that kind of becomes the men's club or where the club is there. And anytime anyone from your club makes it, like people go bananas. Like people get excited for that. And to show that like, hey, the local boy makes good is a great story. And like these are things that I would say arguably grow the game. Now, does it meet the demographics of – we're going to put like clubs in the kids of the sub-Saharan desert. Like uh, that's probably fanciful, but if, if every now and then, like, uh, I, I don't know where Jake Knapp plays out of in Toronto, but I doubt it's Royal. I doubt it's St. George's or whatever the course is up there. Um, show the bar at that club and being like, there's some kid in like, Oh, no way. Like I could do that. Like he plays at this, like show that. And I think that kind of thing goes a very long way. And I think the DP World Tour, candidly, probably has more of the, those stories because it is it is more of a polished, in the current world, I guess it's a polished corn fairy, 
but it is definitely a not like the the PGA Tour is one A. Um, everyone can argue about what would be one B or two, uh, but the the reality is the the DP World Tour because it goes to all these countries, it goes to Africa, it goes to all these continents. It actually does things. That's where those stories can can actually grow from. Totally with you. Well, I'll just just fact check you on Jake Knapp, not Canadian, Costa Mesa, California, went to UCLA. Uh, perhaps the. But does he live in Toronto? Uh, uh, maybe I, I didn't see that. I thought I heard. I, I swear I heard he lived in Toronto. Toronto. Is this is this my new Ryan Fox? I was going to say this could be your Ryan Fox moment, but for Jake now, I, I thought maybe it was the mullet and the mustache that made you think he was a hockey guy or or something like that. But I swear to God, I heard he was like living in Toronto. Or maybe I heard he like scuffled on the t- Canadian tour. That's that's probably a more likely probably thing. probably more likely that. Oh, so so let's oh. talk about what is next. my story we is about... compelling. <laughs> so let's talk about what is coming up next. We have the Cognizant Classic, no longer the Honda Classic, down in the Palm Beaches. We've got Live in Jeddah, and we've got the match coming up on Monday. Uh, Billy, tell me about the. Uh, the, the formerly RIP Honda, the Cognizant Classic in the Palm Beaches. What can we expect? It's a course I think we we kind of know, uh, you know, pretty classic finishing stretch there, but but curious what you think about, you know, this year's uh, variation of the uh, the Palm Beaches Classic. Well, they, they Cognizant would really like you to say that one more time versus the Palm Beaches Classic, um, even though on some websites and some places it's still listed that way. Um, this year you've got some guys coming back and and I think that's going to make it exciting. You know, it's been kind of a lackluster field for, for a number of, uh, number of years, really, since kind of even like all the Palm beach guys pulled out, you know, tiger used to play even up until like, you know, 2014, um, Rory and Justin Thomas and, and, and a lot of those Jupiter guys, uh, would, would play and then, over the last 10 years or so, they've kind of decided to take it as a week off, you know, falls tough in the schedule, it, it you know, all, blah, 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 all those things. Um, so, you know, like I said, you've got Rory coming back, you've got, you've got a better field uh, this year, you've got some guys trying to work their way now, you know, it's the second um, event Mexico plus the Cognizant Classic make up the Swing Five for for um, the the signature event coming up at Bay Hill, and so you know you have that in the mix, and with a better field on a classic course and looking like uh, Chamber of Commerce weather for the first part of the week, maybe 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 some rain on the weekend, but it's not that high a percentage, so. Um, not crazy winds, just kind of, you know, solid, solid wind and, and 80 degrees. So should be, should be a good golf course, should be in great shape and should be a good test. I want to chime in on that last part where you said a good golf course. Like last good week, condition Riv, golf course because of Riv, the weather tune is what I meant by that. To just watch Riv. Like you could just show me like the the junior championship at Riv I'm probably going to tune in to watch and just see Riv. Are you a bear trap hater George? This course stinks out loud. It okay, is I mean I meant well conditioned by a good golf course. That's what I meant. Um this, I'm it, not going it, to argue about golf course design. I've played well there so I think it's fine. 
right? That's how I think about it. <laughs> I just, uh, it presents terribly. I don't like it. It is, it is everything that like people say stinks about Florida golf, like contrived water, this, that, everything else. I, I hate this course. I will say this. I feel bad for this event because it used to be like a big dog event and it, it's definitely gotten screwed by the, the, the thing. Like I can remember sitting on my couch as a kid watching Corey Pavin win this thing and like winning the Honda was a big deal. Sorry, cognizant, the cognizant, the, the yes, but, but you... you're exactly right. No, you're exactly right. It was, it was. Yeah. And, and, and so we'll, and so we'll see if it can't make a little bit of a run come back here, you know, with, with the way it falls in the schedule now and with some of these other, you, you know, top a, you know, top 10 swing five, you know, kind of things. If that, if that changes a couple guys thinking, um, I guess Cognizant's got a good marketing budget and they paid Rory, you know, to do a dinner on Tuesday night or, or something because he's playing, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll, I think we'll have to, you know, wait a couple of years to have any real data on that. So one Let's of see. the questions that I was thinking about, cause I saw that by winning today in Mexico and I, I do have a follow-up on the Mexico tournament is that uh nap is now in the top 10 in the fedex points is is one of the things that could work for the non-signature events right like you would see some guys show up some big names show up to play fall events just to not start the year in a giant fedex cup hole and are we gonna see like and i i'm assuming some guys showing up to play this are looking at the FedEx numbers being like, eee, like there, there's some number, there's some names popping up and like doing some math thinking like, gosh, I, I think I need to like get some starts so that I don't try to backload my season and just hope it's going to pan out. You know, I know the, the signature events get elevated points. So they're like, well, you know, the math would, but you know, if you finish in the, the bottom half of all the signature events, Maybe you're not getting the boost into East Lake that you want, right? Everyone's looking to get to East Lake. So are are we potentially going to see some of these, to your point earlier, Billy, B-tier events get bigger names than they traditionally have because guys are just trying to keep, like, smoothing out their point accumulation and, and will play some events they wouldn't have otherwise, in order to to keep the numbers where they feel comfortable for late season majors and everything else that would traditionally put them over the top. Yeah. So, so, so I think yes and no. Um, I, I, I think that you will see some guys play some earlier season events that they haven't played in a while, but not for the reason that you are stating. Um, I don't think it's for, you know, cause they're worried about the FedEx cup. I don't think they're worried about Jake Knapp being in the top 10 of the FedEx cup and you know, whatever. I, I think it's for just for cadence y y because of the way the new season kind of works out and the new, the new rhythms. So I think that guys will, will play a couple events, you know, like Cognizant and Palm beach or, um, you know, maybe like somewhere in Texas, Valero or, or, or something, something like that, just for cadence to, to go through the first part of the year, because yeah, you, while you're right, there were some guys who were a little miffed at how far down the FedEx cup they were, you know, to start the year, 
when the fall counted, you know, in the wraparound season, now we come back to kind of normal. I mean, it's been 12 years since it was normal, but, but, but kind of the, the calendar year deal. And so you're not so worried about that. I mean, we've only been playing golf for six, seven weeks now in, in, in this season. So you, you, you know, that you still have all the signature, you know, six signature events left and four majors, the players, all these things still to come if you're one of those players. So you might see some of that in the back half, right? Because there is now a big carrot on top 50. Um, whereas if you were a guy who was like, man, I ain't going to make East Lake, maybe I just shut it down and, you know, kind of take an extra vacation and get healthy. I'm going to finish, you know, 60th, that 60th, no different than 31st really, you, you know, minus FedEx cup bonus and, and whatever. Um, so I think you might see some of that more in the back half of the, of the sprint to the end to kind of hang in the top 50 or get into the top 50 a la what we kind of saw with Justin Thomas trying to make the top 70 last year to get into the playoffs. Um, so, so I think you'll see it more in the back half, the, for, for the reasons you highlighted George in the front half, I think you'll see it some just for cadence and, and rhythm of, of playing events and, that kind of thing what is like when players talk about the cadence like what is a what are players trying to do like leading into majors when the when players who can truly set their schedule like you know i know in in rowing we would talk about tapering to get ready and things like this and you know you, you kind of have your sure your up and down w what is that well it's different for every player and so some guys like to have played, some guys play their best after playing a week or playing two, or you look back at your career and you, you say, man, when I, on my third week in a row is where I had all my success, right? So then maybe you stack majors to actually be your third week, you know, of, of, of playing. Maybe you stack it to be the second week. Maybe you, maybe you learn that you play great after having two weeks off. And so you take a week or two weeks off in front of a major. Or, or, or that kind of thing. So it's all kind of, it's all nuanced and it's all learning. Um, you know, I, I give you perfect examples of, of friends of mine, like Charles Howe always plays great after not playing. Like he always played great at the beginning of the year. I mean, he always played great in Hawaii. He always played, you know, kind of pretty good on the West Coast. Uh, Torrey Pines, he always played great at Torrey Pines. And then just, just last year, you know, he, he plays his first live event. He wins in, in, in Mayakoba. He's always played great after taking time off. But then he goes and plays 25 straight weeks a year. And he just never stops playing once the calendar flips uh, to, to, to the season. And so it's like, for some reason, that didn't really click in his head. But to an outside observer, I'm like, dude, like you, you play great when you're just at home beating balls for two weeks and then show up. Why don't you do that more? Right. And, and there's a couple other players like that. Peter Malnati is actually like that. He plays better when he's at home, you know, the week before and, and practicing than, than, than when he, uh, than when he plays and he's another guy who plays 30 weeks a year, you know, but um, he, he's, he actually has good weeks or when he's taken a little bit of time off and, and kind of honed on, on some block practicing and whatnot. But so, so you just, you just learn it as you go and you kind of just decide how, how am I going to, you know, what, what helps me peak. And for some guys that's playing for some guys that's, you know, home practicing or, you know, doing other things. Yeah, that that's great. I really, I've always been curious as to when they talk about the cadence and how they set their schedule, what they're trying to do and 
I guess yeah, yeah, there, there's guys. a lot of feeling. There's a lot of feeling around three on, two off is kind of a a a seventy five percent solution. Guys like to play three in a row, and these aren't the you know this is outside the top ten in the world. Like these are kind of your you know top hundred kind of kind of guys, right? Not the not the truly superstars, but um, there's there's a lot of feeling around three on, two off. I need to try to talk to my clients about that, guys. You got me three weeks on two weeks. I'm off, but I'll be back in. Every every three weeks, I'm gonna be better off. though. I'm gonna be refreshed. I'm gonna be You're energized. Gonna I'm gonna be. It's gonna be peak George Law. Yeah, I'm gonna try to sell that. Just make sure that hey guys, just on the retainers, just so you understand, this is how it works. It actually is two x because I'm just gonna be better doing it this way. It's not not. It's not gonna be reduced in any way. It's gonna be more because I'm gonna be better. I need to bring you on as my chief marketing officer. <laughs> And George, you went here, so I figured we'd maybe maybe start wrapping up with this. One of the things that caught my eye was Jake Knapp lifting this trophy, and it didn't look like your standard B-level tour event trophy. And then I thought, oh, yeah, it's the freaking Mexican Open that he won. And and it made me think. Was you know, it open? Canadian. Yeah, what, was, was it, it wasn't open? super open. Um, and, th and that was the thing that got me thinking, like, is this funny? And I know this happens on the DP World Tour as well. You know, all the national opens seem to fall on the DP World Tour schedule to a degree. And on the PGA Tour, they've got the Mexican Open and the Canadian Open. Obviously, the U.S. Open is not part of the PGA Tour calendar necessarily. But but it made me think, like, is this a just a funny thing that that is done on the PGA Tour that you can sort of flop into the to the Mexican Open schedule and, and take it over? I don't know if I'm reading too much into that one. Well, and I guess this is this is what drives me nuts because, and not to get on someone else's like. Uh, stump here of national opens are important but if it is in fact the mexican open one would think a person like carlos ortiz who went and won this week somewhere else on the planet could have played in the mexican open someone like abe answer could have played in the mexican and not only played but most likely under the mexican golf association or whatever they're governing body is probably would have qualified under their metric of... and a hat tip to uh carlos's brother alvaro ortiz finished tied for 13th this week yeah and like and and this is something that drives me nuts. and and this is i will say this would drive me nuts whether it's the pga tour the dp world tour is like all right if all of these professional groups have talked about growing the game everyone has used that phrase so everyone bangs on live for it every single professional tour has used that phrase shouldn't you want to have the best players from your country play in your national open and i these people need to push back and say like hey cool we'll we'll co-sanction this with you if Carlos Ortiz wins. He doesn't get any FedEx money, but whoever sponsored this event and it was, I don't think it was Banco Salinas. It might've been the rival to them who has risen up um, and banks, the other cartel. I'm not sure how it works there, but the, uh, the whole deal is like the sponsor needs to be like, Hey, no, 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 no. We want the best Mexican players playing here and, and, and we don't the care. It's and our I was just check. looking 
And I was just looking it up. Of the 132 players in the field at the 2024 Mexico Open at Vedanta, eight players were from Mexico, uh, led by PGA Tour rookie Raul Pereira, who earned his membership via Q School. But but George, uh, you know, your point is one that I think on the Canadian uh, Open side, and, and Billy, you can help me with this one, I think the number was larger. I think it was like 20 or 24 players uh, from Canada qualified otherwise, something like that. And let's not yeah, forget significant- Nick Taylor, Washington Husky, won the <laughs> Canadian Open. So once again, University of Washington, School of Champions. Yeah, Canada has the... Um- luxury of being in the summer so it's 156 man field uh you know so they do have 16 maybe even 20 canadians i thought that at one point the 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 event in mexico had more um but but i think that just where it where it falls now uh it doesn't have as many spots for kind of the the mexican player in that in that way now this is you know while we played mexico for a long time this is a change in the last, uh, I probably should know two, we'll call it two or three years that it just, you know, became the Mexican open on the PGA tour. Right. It was a, it was a world golf championship. Um, but that was in Mexico city for a bit. That was in Mexico and, city. And yeah, that I mean, course was, was cool. A, yeah. Like, I don't know. Wh- I mean, why did they leave that course? I, no idea. All these things are, are way over my pay grade. Um, as I'm told. Yeah, I did. I did look it up. Twenty players uh, formed the Canadian contingent that challenged for last year's uh, Canadian Open on the PGA Tour's calendar. So they do get they do get a number of uh, yeah. Number I mean, they have twenty of, more know, spots. They have twenty four more spots in the field, though. Just just on balance, but I mean, I'm assuming Mexico City's at altitude, so yes, being being there in February is probably not great. Um, but that course was awesome. Like it was weird. Like this is a. 335 yard par four and they're hitting three iron to the green and you're like what is going on it was awesome like it was a quirky weird course but it was great it was like fun to watch george just likes to see long drives he's not in favor of the rollback or anything else no i like to see interesting courses and that course was interesting like weird shots would happen and like it's at altitude so the ball could be rolled back and they would hit three wood instead of three iron but they're still getting to the green with less than driver. Um, but like my whole thing is this, this comes back to the whole issue of what we're dealing with, where if, if we're going to have these kind of, I'll say weirder fields or less star studded fields, then go to awesome courses because like that will, and again, I guess hand up golf sicko world of like, man, I want to see cool golf. I want to see cool courses asking for cool shots that like, hey, the pin is in the back left. You actually have to land it middle right of the green, and it's going to feed off and get back there. If you go for that, you're smoked. Like, that is actually, like, cool golf to me. And I guess I'm in the minority on that, but, like, I want to see courses like that on TV. And I felt like the, the Mexico City course had that. Well, we'll get out of here on this one. I just looked up the format because I was fact-checking myself on the match coming up. Uh, there will be no teams in this match. It will be one-on-one, on-one, on-one. And they're playing 12 holes under the lights at the park in West Palm Beach. Uh, who's going to win? Who, who who do you guys got? I'll put you I'll put you under the gun. I'm going to go... Ooh, 
I'm going to go Max Homa wins it. Takes ah, seven you, of the 12 skins. He's going to get seven out of the 12 skins. Skins is a funny game. I don't know. George, I'll go to you. So it's Max, Rose, Rory, and... and Lexi. Lexi Thompson. And it's all par threes? No, no, no. This is no. Uh, 12 holes under the lights. It's a yeah, four, uh, short four course, par threes. But... Oh, it's Rory. Rory's going to dust the field. All 12 you skins. get OWGR points if you only beat three people? No, it, it, here's the thing. Like, there's going to be short game issues. Lexi's not. Um, but like she the can lights, pick a, does it get better? Does it get better if it's something she, the lights? Well, here's the is thing. That perception, uh, no, does that make it better like, or no? Here's the deal. Like, she's probably playing some up tees with Rose. Rory and Max play back. You get some carry. Max and Rory carry a few holes. I'm sure it's one tie, all tie. So all of a sudden they get to a hole that's a little long for Max and Rory, but Lexi can get there. Maybe she picks off some sneaky skins. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna recant, and I'm I'm going Lexi. I think she just she backdoor covers and picks off some sneaky carries, and then wins it. All right, Bill, you're, you're just going Max. You're you're going. With uh, yeah, Max. I'm sticking with Max. You beat me. You beat All me right. to Max. I, I just right. I um I'm going I'm going Max home. I'm gonna stick well, I, there. Boring. You know what's but... funny is I I wasn't excited about this until I just found out this format tweak. Now now I'll watch because now I'm kind of intrigued as to no teams how how this will turn out. Uh, uh, the matches have been a little lackluster, but this one uh I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. We'll, we'll, so we'll wait to be one. clear, to be clear. All the best and brightest minds of a fourteen billion dollar marketing corporation. No, 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 no. This, this is a separate thing. The PGA Tour. Yeah, no, 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 no. You got, you got oh, no, no, okay. No. You got so, way bigger minds running this one. So again, we have basically reverted to the Thanksgiving skins match that we would all watch, and they're like, you know what? They had it right in nineteen ninety five. Yeah, that's right. And you know what's interesting is we watched. We totally Back watched. Then. It was great. That's right. And then we tried to do everything else and we've stopped watching. So anyway, we're coming back. Pendulum's coming back. Everything old is new again. All right, boys. Well, this yeah. was a fun yeah. one to cover quite a bit in the world of golf. And we will watch how it all plays out this week and catch you this time next week. See you, boys. Thanks for listening to the Living It Up podcast. Follow us on the Twitters at Living It Up Pod. See you there.